Hey, and welcome to episode 17 of The Thodcast. I'm your host, Philip Elke, and welcome to The Thodcast, conversations about animation where we review popular animated film and TV. And I am joined today by my brother, Dawson Elke. Hi, Philip. I'm so excited to be here. Yes, you're doing your Jay Barrichell voice. How appropriate. And I'm also joined by the one and only Jody Pulaski. Hey, Jody. Hey, I'm super excited to dig into this one. Um, I just saw How to Train Your Dragon this morning, so it's super fresh and ready to record. That's what we're talking about today, some dragons. Uh, and specifically- Hold on, though. I literally said, I'm gonna do a Jay Baruchel voice and then decided I'm not gonna do a Jay Baruchel voice and then started talking. So you heard Jay Baruchel after I definitively decided not to. Uh, I mean, it, it was close enough. I don't know. I, I couldn't tell if you were trying to do it intentionally or not, but. All right, we've got a hiccup impression coming the entire rest of the podcast. <laughs> Even subconsciously, yes, we're talking about How to Train Your Dragon, The Hidden World, uh, starring the aforementioned Jay Baruchel, along with a whole host of other popular comedians and actors uh, featured in this DreamWorks animated feature. Just came out over the weekend in the US. Um, so we're just getting to it now. So hopefully fresh in most of our minds here as we're going to be reviewing and talking about How to Train Your Dragon, uh, the third of a trilogy. Of course, we have discussed the previous two films and the How to Train Your Dragon saga on the Thodcast, uh, and you can find those on our feed. And uh, today, yeah, we're excited to bring you the epic conclusion to How to Train Your Dragon. It, it is a, a fairly conclusive, uh, I guess, finale to the series. We're just kind of going to give our overall impressions of the story. Oh, and uh, we are liable to go into full spoilers. So hopefully you have already seen the film if you're listening to this. Um, who wants to go first? Well, right when you said definitive ending to a, a trilogy or end of the series uh, mm -hmm. be very careful the moment you say that that's when we're getting how to train your dragons plural mm -hmm. uh number four uh which is all about the babies and mm -hmm. i not to get into spoiler territory immediately but just look at a series like shrek and how that kept going or you know minions i mean Literally, DreamWorks, they just, they did it. They introduced baby toothlesses. That's not going away. That's a money-making phantasma. So, of course, there have been two TV series spinoffs. So we haven't... But we haven't had baby toothless. So look for baby toothless at your local department store <laughs> and retail outlet. Coming soon to Sign Walmart, Target, and CVS Pharmacy near you. And there could be worse things. Oh, exactly. No, I'm all for like little toothless plushies. Um, well, Jody, what did you think? You saw this today and um, I don't know, I, I'm guessing you enjoyed it, but maybe not. Maybe we have a uh, naysayer in the group. Hit it, Jody. Uh, you know, I went into it a little bit more hesitant because I wasn't a huge fan of the sequel. I didn't like that they magically found the mom alive. I felt like the characters, their strengths stemmed from the dragons. And I just kind of thought there were too many like points in that movie that like lost my interest. But this one, I'm super satisfied with the way it ended. Of course, there's little parts I might have tweaked, but I left the theater feeling like it really resolved all my issues from the second, the second one. I thought they did a great job um, bringing the story together. And like you said, really finalizing their the hiccup story, the hiccup and toothless story. Um, so I liked it. I'd give it like an eight out of 10. Mm -hmm. um, it was a great sort of action romp for kids, uh, along very, very similar to the previous two. And um, had a very solid ending, I thought. The last 25 or so minutes were some of the strongest of any animated film that I've seen. The payoff you get to the relationships that these characters have built over uh, three films um, really comes into the full frame. 
if we do get more, it'll be uh, it'll probably be a whole new generation. Very satisfied with where things went for our main cast of characters. Mm-hmm. It's kind of hard not to focus on the ending right away because that's the most like recent thing I saw and like focused on was the end. But honestly, even even the beginning was strong. Um, those scenes. Usually I feel like when I'm talking about like busy scenes, I don't like it. Like I have a negative connotation to it, but that was exactly, I think what they were aiming for from the get go. You get to see all these new species of dragons sort of almost infesting the the city of Burke. Um, yeah. Right away, the visuals are phenomenal. It's vibrant. It's just this gorgeous environment that they've pulled together. So it really does have a strong beginning and end. I just think, there were those few little, I, I'm curious if you guys thought there were any scenes that could have been trimmed out, um, but. Well, first my overall quick impression, um, 100% agree with Philip and mostly agree with you, Jody too. Uh, the, yeah, from the beginning up to the end, uh, I, I have had sort of the same feelings watching the second one where I, like, I, I didn't have a problem with anything happening. I like, I'm like, this is great. This is good. This is fine. Um, but I just, I wasn't engaged. And, and I, I always assume if I'm not engaged, it's my fault. It's not the movie's fault. But, you know, like, for whatever reason, it just was like, this is a series of events that is mostly interesting, but something's not, whatever it is, I'm not engaged. But then that's that, generous yeah, of you. <laughs> it's what? Oh, that, I mean, that's generous of you to hold that philosophy. That you know, you're, you well, don't. Well, I mean, it's DreamWorks, the creators, animators of How to Train Your Dragon. It's like I assume they know how to tell a story better than I know how to receive a story. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, and the, it happens, you know. Some, but I because I knew I wasn't gonna. Well, anyway, like no, I said, true. but yeah, that, like I'm a firm final. believer in giving a story every chance that you know you're able to before you're, you know, before right. you're out. There's just, I, you know, an internal difference and we all have our different mechanisms for processing this, you know, mm-hmm. with every, every person watches a movie and reacts to it differently. But for me, I just, I know what it feels like to be gripped and engaged the entire time and just with the story, immersed in the story versus watching it happen kind of passively or sort of the difference between being engaged and unengaged. That mm-hmm. final 25 minutes, I was head over heels engaged. I was absolutely just mesmerized and yeah so the it's it's funny that the the denouement or the denouement as some people say the part after the climax of the film so the like which in a fairy tale is typically like you know the moment the bad guy is killed only be about like one minute left of the story but they had a very return of the king style denouement where like a long portion was what happens to these characters after the main conflict, after the main villain is defeated. And it earned that, it earned the right to have that long of an ending, um, a beautiful denouement, heart, heart melting. And mm-hmm. yeah, that's my quick overall impression. So uh, yeah, what, like one of the strongest endings in animation ever, uh, up there with Toy Story, which isn't over. But, I was gonna say, but there's another well, like, <laughs> yeah, it, Toy Story three felt. I mean, like that was a, a perfect, as perfect an ending as you can have. And then, uh, but it's not the end. When and it's not the end for these characters either, because they go on to live. And anyway, now yeah. what was your question before I gave my? Uh, were the, oh, you said were there scenes that I would have trimmed out? Well, I really loved that Gobber kept seeing these things called hobgoblins and that they kept multiplying, and I couldn't wait to see what would happen with that. And then he met a bad guy who could also see them. And then that bad guy was knocked into the wall. And then that was the end of the Hobgoblin arc. Yeah, they just had sort of a piranha ending. You, I was curious about that subplot too. And I was like, where are they gonna take this? It's gonna be something big, but really they just sort of chomp up the boat and scare that guy off of the boat and then they're, they're gone, right? That was pretty much the end of that? Yeah, we're introduced to a few new dragon species. Wait. I I never got that other people can't see the hobgobbler. Yeah, uh, because when they changed like the perception of the character, there would only be one. I think. Yeah, 
or the or or yeah, nothing. Like there's there starts out with one, and then they multiply. I thought that was the thing. They just sort of Hiccup, Hiccup couldn't see him mysteriously. Like, I, think right. I think Dawson's right uh, because that was my impression yeah. of it as well. Uh, I thought the thing was that they it just looks so innocent and harmless. It's just a little lump of a dragon, but his mom could see him. His mom could see him and thought it was cute and interacted with it. But then, yeah, it was. I was confused about everything kind of revolving around the hob hobgoblins because for a portion. But then Gobber, yeah, Gobber was afraid of it. Yeah, Gobber was afraid. Yeah, he thought it was a bad element. The mother walked up and said, oh, this is cute and harmless. Or was it a baby dragon? Was that a hobgoblin or a baby dragon? The Hob hobgoblins looked like like baby gonkles. Hobgobbler. Are you serious? I th Why did they do that? Hobgoblins hobgoblin are... Is an actual mythical creature. And it could and so are dragons, so they could have just as easily introduced hobgoblins into this world. <laughs> no, a hobgoblin is a goblin. Not a dragon. But the hobgoblers, okay, but they called them hobgoblers. They didn't look like dragons as much as any other dragons in these movies looked like dragons. And like, the, okay, like the trolls from Frozen, like these hobgoblins could have easily been hobgoblins if the trolls from Frozen were trolls. The, you can, no, you, the can call, you can invent a creature, make it look however you want, call it a hobgoblin <laughs> if you want to. No, the hobgobbler is just a little toad. It's a, it's a little toad dragon. It looks nothing like a goblin. What does a hobgoblin look like, Philip? Uh, I mean, ask Marvel Comics. Uh, but no, it's... Oh, anyway. Yeah, no, it's totally... It's supposed to be piranha dragons. Mm-hmm. No, the, I thought the only one that turns invisible or is, is unable to be seen, if, if it doesn't want to be, is uh, the Light Fury which we're also introduced to uh, early on in, in the well, story is we're all confused with Hobgobbler bit because we all have a different perception on what was even going well, on there. They're, they're, I think they disappear. That is what I thought, but maybe okay. I was watching it wrong. Is, there's an easy no. way to... That, uh, huh. Because you kept thinking they were multiplying and multiplying, but like there was only one, I thought, right? <laughs> It doesn't well, really matter. I thought they were actually multiplying, but most characters couldn't see them. I thought most characters just didn't care. Either way, odd. Um, but odd goblins. Odd, because I thought I remember a scene where it cut to like Hiccup's perspective, and you know, from the same angle, that would have been Gobber's. You know, Gobber sees a bunch, and then it cuts to Hiccup's perspective, and there's nothing. I literally thought they did that camera work. But maybe I don't. Maybe that. Maybe so, I'm pulling that from no. Hop goblins are typically just a more aggressive form of goblin, I believe. Uh, and then right in Lord of the, in Lord of the Rings, orcs are are interchanged with hobgoblin. But okay. you can still create a fantasy story, create a creature that looks like anything, and call it a hobgoblin. Mm, if you this this is the weirdest tangent ever. But there's nothing on the How to Train Your Dragon wiki that says that hobgoblers are invisible to certain people. Dawson's well, just the first one to discover it. You, you have were, to add it to the wiki. I, I don't know. You, you were a little bit sick recently. So. I kind of agree with that. Okay, yeah, I was sick while I was watching the movie and tired, but so maybe did did anything, maybe nothing that I saw actually happened. Did... Uh, <laughs> The third night, the third night fury that was rainbow colored, the the camellia fury that that was in the movie, right? Okay, yep. so so some of the new dragon species we're introduced to are okay. We mentioned the hobgobbler. The um, I don't know why we make these so much about these new species of dragons. Like we've mentioned almost every main species. That You're the one who does it. No, like, I literally do. <laughs> Dragons are the least interesting part of the movie. They're not the least because they all look. It's stupid. not that plot relevant. I like the scorpion ones. I thought they were really scary, like the oh, scorpion bad yes. dragons that were possessed or like drugged. Mm -hmm. Yeah, they were drugged. Those were freaking great. That was they dark and scary as heck. And they spit acid. I think. Yes. Yeah. Those acid, like those are called death grippers. Great name. Perfect name. Love it. Well done. Not so much of a hit was the Alaskan bullworm. Oh, <laughs> you mean the crimson that's gore a, cutter? 
Yes, Alaskan bullworm is a is a SpongeBob reference. But yes, the the bull moose party yeah. dragon, the moose, the the Sarah Palin dragon, the <laughs> crim yeah, the crimson gore gutter, as identified by Fish Legs, who's like carrying around a little baby. I think that's a, that's a baby Gronkle or something that he's carrying around. Did you notice at the end? Spoiler alert! But when all the dragons are gone, he has a stuffed animal version of it on his back. Oh. No. Yeah, like he replaces that, you know, the real one with like a stuffy like dragon. So he still is carrying around the baby with him. Yeah, I thought that was super cute. Oh, snot. Oh, oh fish legs. Sorry, that's. Huh. I can't keep any of their names straight. I wish they would have named these dragons something a little easier. And the characters too. There's like the people, the one with the beard, like Rough Nut or something. Like what were, I don't that's, think Tough Nut is the girl and Rough Nut's the, no, Tough Nut's the boy, Rough Nut's the girl. Mm -hmm. Okay. That beard bit though, that was, that was. That you was know it was his side. hair, right? Like it was his hair just like tied in the front. <laughs> Wait, so what? Serious. Like it's his hair, he. Are you serious? Like this. I just, I was like so impressed with his face. Yes, I knew that, that <laughs> he was, that was. Oh, no. He was so committed to his own truth. It was just glorious. He really grew as a character in this one. I feel like I didn't really pay much attention to him in the first two. And this he one was really, he became a star in his own right in this. Yeah, this he actually had a character and yeah. the, he did things. Like, it was really great. That, that was a big change in this movie where all of the back, the supporting Burkean kids uh, had much expanded roles in this film. Right. And like you said, Jody, one of the things you were disappointed about in the second one is the introduction of the mother character as like integral to the plot. And we all agreed that maybe we thought it could have taken another difference. And I think we saw maybe a symptom of that creative choice in this third one here, which is, well, without Stoic, they had no idea what to do with the mother character. Uh, so she just became a love interest to Snotlout. And that was her role for the entire film. She offered a couple sage advices, advices, wow. Offered some wisdom to her son um, and was, I would presume, like the people looked to her for wisdom as much as they looked to Hiccup, who was the actual chief. Uh, but she fought, offered advice, and then was Snotlout's love interest in, in a very bizarre, I, don't, I wasn't sure how uncomfortable to feel by all of that. It was really funny, but also I think he, I think he was serious. Like, yeah. um, she's, and yeah. she would be like 45 and he should, I mean, I'm guessing they're around like the, like Hiccup is probably around 20 in this movie. Is that sort of where they age? I thought he was like 20 in the last one, but they so, took away his scruff, so he looked younger. This one's a year after the previous one. Mm. Yeah. So. I mean, she's hot. <laughs> She is, and, and I, they they integrated her, I think, where they could, but I think you're right. I don't, I, I mean, I don't think she was totally necessary. I'm just happy they pulled Astrid really back into the storyline again, and yes. she said Philip kind of brought all these characters sort of back into the story itself, because I do feel like we sort of lost them in the second um, part. And this time we sort of, I feel like we lost, like the villain character wasn't very fleshed out, but I was okay with that. Um, this one you didn't think the villain character was fleshed out? No, Let's talk about the villain. Or if cool. Philip, if you don't mind. Well, I yeah, I mean, the like, movie starts off with this action set piece where the the whole group of kids, uh, you know, from the first film. Is there a name for this squad, the Dragon Squad? Big Dragon Six. The Big Dragon Six. They <laughs> uh, are freeing, they're going around and rescuing dragons from dragon trappers. Um, they, they bring him back to Burke. We see the scene where dragons are have totally overrun Burke, but at least they're not hostile. Um, they've integrated with Burkean society. A uh, whole bunch of new colorful architecture. It's just an incredibly busy and vibrant shot of the, the team returning home uh, with all these uh, rescued dragons in tow. And um, Hiccup's actually delivering his opening monologue uh, on screen in this movie, his welcome. Yeah, that was fun. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, it's it's kind of a fourth wall break, but yeah, you know, 
he uh, is talking to the dragons. He's introducing them to their new home. Mm-hmm. He literally was, yeah. He was talking to the Alaskan bull moose dragon and um, was delivering the monologue to that. I, I, Jody, you mentioned right in the beginning how busy that first scene was and how normally that's something you, you don't like, but in this one, it was really pleasant. Uh, yeah, I, boy, I absolutely, I was so shocked and disgusted at, to see what had become of Burke uh, with the full dragon integration. Yeah, so garishly bright. Right just, mm-hmm. Yeah, the sense right away, like, this is unsustainable. Like, and I wanted, I was, it was interesting because I thought maybe they would like introduce like a lot of discontent and warmongering. No, that's a Grima Wormtongue quote. Just like discontent among the people or like where more of the, it would like show like hiccups, like isn't this paradise great? And then more people than Gobber would, would really hate what had happened or like dragons are out of control. They're everywhere. Our lives are being like, we thought this was great, but our lives are being ruined. They all seem to really love their circumstances mm-hmm. except for Gobber. Um, mm. you know, but then like half the, I love when finally the half the town got knocked down. That was so satisfying to see like, okay, yeah, you've got to like, it's great that you get along, but this whole situation just isn't, isn't going to work. Yeah, Sarah Palin dragon came in and wrecked everything. <laughs> I think they had to do it that way to make the ending more like monumental, you know, saying goodbye at the end to all the dragons. If they had been sort of annoyed by all the dragons, it might've been like, goodbye and good riddance. But since they were all, you know, they that's so true. Yeah, they probably, you know, played with that a little bit, but to make the end a little more. Yeah, they have a a much more steep polar opposite scenario. Mm -hmm. Yeah, instead of, I mean, I guess they could have done like we're irritated with the dragons, and there's like some tension and conflict, but then, or as the course of the film, they like maybe resolve that, and then they realize that the dragons have to go anyway. That could have taken a journey maybe but uh i mean yeah you're right like and who wouldn't love dragons it was just like yeah i mean they're so big and they're like insects and how do you <laughs> how would you eat them all fish they and they had to dress up all their sheep like dragons <laughs> so the sheep I love that there's a little scene where when they're heading to the hidden world or in search of the hidden world and the little dragon sheep I don't remember exactly what happens, but there's a really cute moment that sort of emphasizes that the sheep have to be dressed up to, you know, survive in this new community. I like that. Yeah, the dragons keep looking at the sheep, which have these little dragon costumes on, and the sheep, like, look terrified, and it's it's <laughs> glorious. Yeah, so after the sequence at Burke, uh, we're then brought back to this sort of convocation of dragon trappers and there's this you know flying vehicle at first i was like what the crap they built a a freaking flying airplane in uh, ancient northern europe but it, it's it's actually being pulled by you know the four i, I think uh, four of the death Stolian, yeah what, what are they called death, death grippers death grippers yeah, yeah. Death eaters. They're they're hauling this flying contraption that is Grimmel the Grizzly's, you know, flying fortress. And uh, until the very end to explain how he controlled them. Because I remember thinking, wait, if he wants to kill all the dragons and doesn't want to like work with the dragons, how does he have these dragons working for him? And I feel like it's not till the end that they address that. Right? He Hiccup and him have a conversation about it when he's in Hiccup's throne room when oh, Grimmel shows up in the okay. shadows. Yeah, Hiccup says like, but you have dragons, why are you trying to kill them? And he's like, uh, these death grippers are dragon killers. And I control them with the venom, which he, he, okay, which this wasn't ever like explained how how you do it, but like with their purple juice, he can knock dragons unconscious. But when he puts a harness full of the purple juice on the death grippers, it brings them into a state of submission and obedience mm-hmm. to his. Well, we know that. Or yeah. spoken commands. Again, it's the same problem with the second one with Drago and the dragons. It's like, how are you communicating with them? We don't really know, but you can, and we'll just take your word for it because uh-huh. you're a yeah. bad guy. The first one introduces that they can be suggested you know, by 
uh, at, you know, some kind of echolocation or hyp hypnosis, you know, supersonic hypnosis. Um, right. So it's probably a similar thing where the drug just lowers their, you know, the, the venom lowers the dragon's mental defenses. And so yeah. they're more open to suggestion. And maybe because they have that venom in them, they are, they're a race of dragons that like is resistant to the alpha's call. Uh, well, no, because then they do respond later to Toothless, don't they? Do you remember? Was that like once Toothless was on muzzled at the end, were they able to control the Death Grippers? Did, what what did happen to the Death Grippers? Did did they survive? They were such nasty dragons. Were they attacked by other dragons, or because it was Toothless shooting the flying catamaran that? broke that broke it that dislodged grim or it was the light fury shooting it that caused grimmel to run away he and he ends up riding the light fury in essence he's a a genius dragon trapper uh slash dragon rider like he he is kind of a what distinguishes him from drago is that grimmel's kind of like a dragon assassin. Which, like, okay, can we... <laughs> the book that Hiccup reads in How to Train Your Dragon 1, super dangerous, kill on sight, super dangerous, kill on sight, Night Fury, no information. Do, if you see one, run away. No one has ever survived. No, like, do not approach, do not try to fight. It's too late, you can't even run. You are going down. Oh, every Night Fury's been slain by one man. <laughs> like yeah that is a curious catch i didn't think about that when i was watching it i love grimmel's character i love that he is his personality and the fact that he is this expert dragon hunter like i love all that but just in the lore of the dragons that they already established with night furies being i mean the gods of the dragons and you know that whole that hiccup was only able to capture one or injure one like by chance and accident like because there's no way you'd ever actually mm. be able to hunt one and that they were known mm. like nothing was known about them because they were known to be the ultimate killing machines in the universe but one single mm. guy had in fact extinguished the entire race is that why no one knew anything about them no he was you know so it's like it's it's things like that that are like i would say maybe flaws in the overall storytelling but like i don't care because each individual film is charming in its own right and and grimmel was fun to watch and um mm -hmm. and a, a compelling villain I yeah thought, so it's not overly rigorous mythologically <laughs> each yeah okay that's a good way of putting it yeah the whole like one, toothless being the last surviving night fury or at least black night fury if indeed the uh the light fury is a totally different species or at least a well, that, different variety that's another question i had a biological specification it's like okay is light fury you're calling it a light fury but isn't it just a female night fury and there and then they have the children and it's like some are black and white and one is just white so it's like okay, is white and black is that a gender thing or like a, or a sex thing or what? I, I think it's just the, uh, it has to do with type and she's a, a, sort of a different, um, what do they call that, subspecies. What's that? Oh, I was under the impression that they were the exact same like species, just two different colors. Because they never classify yeah. what kind of dragon she is. Okay, I, I think Hiccup does. They call it a light fury. Yeah, that I mean, that could just be a nickname, but I thought Hiccup did sort of classify her as something different due to, you know, lack of dorsal ridges um, and due to... Um, and her invisibility yeah, or her camouflage. Yeah, exactly. And are there more... Oh, also, some, something is... to do with the ears. He refers to the plates on, on the Night Fury's neck as ears. <laughs> yeah. Which I, I didn't think they were, but you know, maybe he was just also using shorthand. Is last of is last of their kind a trope that is used way too like much? Especially, 
Yeah, in sequels and in animation specifically, like Ice Age, Manny's the last of his kind, or in why am I there's like I mean, there's so much I know there's so much more. Here's a video game example like Ratchet and Clank, you know, Ratchet's the last The Last Lombax, mm -hmm. yeah. Or uh, even Toy Story, like Woody's the last Woody or something. <laughs> like Did you say that? I mean he's worth millions at the Canadian uh, Toy Museum yeah, in Japan. The last airbender, yeah, the last Jedi. The last unicorn. <laughs> well, they set up the last airbender like from the beginning. That's, I'm talking about like the, it's a sequel, we need to figure out something to make this character special. And so now it's to do that, we're gonna make it the last. Well, yeah, I mean, so. the reason why it's used so much is because there have been effective uses in uh, in the past the moment we're done recording i'll think of a million different ones where that's been the case but yeah. um so so yeah like grimmel convenes with these other these trappers he's an assassin he he wants to essentially annihilate the dragons um the only dragons he wants to keep around are the ones that he's brainwashed and um and then we're introduced to this notion of the hidden world which is new in in this movie. Uh, the Hidden World, which his mother Baklava had spent her whole life searching for and Hiccup and uh, Astrid were able to find by flying for a few days out over open sea. Yeah, apparently it's not that far away. Um, we, we do have the um, evacuation of Burke in which they're sort of off to find the Hidden World, uh, supposedly. And the hidden world, of course, it's it's like the source of the dragons. Um, and there's reference to the end of the world. It's like, is this some kind of flat earth scenario where the water just, you know, falls right over the edge of the earth into this this hidden world? Uh, so called David Jones Locker. Yeah, exactly. It's impressive how Hiccup is able to muster the Vikings so quickly to... Uh, you know, get them to leave <laughs> their home. Yeah, Seven what generation. the heck? Like, it was like one town meeting. Yeah, they're like, what do you think about just like abandoning the place we've been for seven generations? And everyone's kind of grumbling. And then the next thing you know, they're all flying away. Never yeah. Back. When do you expect it? Right. Like, all right, we're going to go find the hidden world. So, so you mean you're going to send out a scout to see if it exists. And then in a month, we'll kind of pack up and head out. No, we're going tomorrow. <laughs> okay. <laughs> if there were any doubts about whether Hiccup made for an effective chief, uh, they should be put to rest by this very thing. Yeah, no kidding. We're going to search for an island that cannot be found except by those who already know where it is. Okay, and you're, you lead the <laughs> way. Whatever you say, Chief. It was Tough Nut. Okay, so Tough Nut clearly has an ability as, I don't know what character class he is specifically, but he can cast a rallying cry and say, I'm with Hiccup, and then all creatures within range immediately... Uh, agree to do whatever it is that you say. So yeah. I, I owe it all to Tough Nut and his inspirational. Um, mm -hmm. Well, powers of this this uh, operation uh, Dumbo drop or uh, Dragon Drop <laughs> <they're>, um, <laughs> leads them to one of the main locations of this film, this new island. Um, I don't know. Did they ever give the new island a name? New Burke. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Because Burke isn't a place. Burke is a people. They, mm -hmm. they decide. Burke isn't here. Burke. It's inside. Inside of us. So yeah. And speaking of accents, like that, there are multiple different accents used by the Vikings of Burke. Um, it, you know, and I think that just lends to the fantastical realm that this is. You know, far displaced from kind of any real historical accuracy uh, so it works all right but it it's kind of bizarre how the kids have no accents and uh and it was because none of none of the younger characters that we are introduced to in any of these movies i mean eret he returned kit harrington uh returns as eret um he's he's a british dude he's somewhat less wacky sounding than uh, you know gobber or stoic 
Um, and then Valka, actually Valka has a, a real, we, I don't think we addressed this in How to Train Your Dragon 2, but she does sound Scandinavian, right? Uh, Kate Blanchett, she's like she, putting on a Norwegian accent. She straight up was like, I'm a professional and I know how to do an, a perfect Norwegian accent and I'll, I'll use that. Yeah, it sounds, <laughs> Maybe. sounds great. Like that, that's, you know, we, we probably hate on Valka a little bit too much here, but that is one of her... Oh, I love Volk. Oh, yeah. There were dragons when I was a boy. Where they went, only a few know. Our story changed the world forever. We did it! The world's first dragon Viking utopia. Your utopia, maybe. Mine's less crowded and more oh, sanitary. Hey, bud, wait up! Oh my God, he's not the only one. She's a light fury. The uh, light fury character that we're introduced to is one of the entrapped dragons at the start of the film. They don't rescue her because she turns invisible, and so they they just you know, don't realize that her cage isn't empty. Um, so she's left behind. But then the trappers free her anyway. So I guess so that she can go track Toothless. At first I thought... Yeah. No, no, Jody, you go. No, I was going to say, at first when they let her out, I thought that she was under some type of, like, I don't know how I would have thought this, that she was trying to, like, trap or ensnare Toothless. But I think they just really left her out and they knew that her existence alone would be like enough to distract him. Like, I don't think they, I thought for some reason there was going to be this more of a plot with her like trying to trick him. But yeah, I think but, it was just that she was free and that he would want that freedom and be distracted from his like purpose of being a pet or not a pet, but like a, yeah. what would you call it? A companion. But it's kind of betting heavily on the notion that Toothless hasn't already met another Night Fury or Night Fury type dragon, which, uh, you know, I'm not, not sure how they would know that for sure, but I guess um, maybe they, they are familiar with the dragon Toothless and his rider hiccup. Grimmel. Grimmel was confident enough in his own ability that if he let out this Light Fury, it would bring the Night Fury to it, and then it would bring him to both of them, and he could capture them both again. Mm -hmm. Well, aren't um, you to assume that when she's on the island, and she, when, he, when Toothless first finds her, aren't you kind of to assume that she was like, because there was that old needle or whatever, that old syringe there, and like she was like laying down, aren't you to assume like they just like, left her there and like drugged her up and when she woke up she was yeah i thought was maybe gone. she was yeah i thought she was maybe under the influence of grimmel when when she's yeah found uh freed but she and she immediately tries to attack hiccup and astrid like she doesn't like humans but yeah it turns out it, it just ends up that she and hiccup and toothless hook up and mm -hmm. uh <laughs> make a journey to the hidden world which is not the end of the world it's a it's a hole in the ocean mm -hmm. i i guess uh somehow the ocean has a way of replenishing all the water that cascades down into this endless chasm um, that is the entrance to the hidden world yeah and the hidden world doesn't I don't know. I, I thought it works on a surrealist, like, fantasy, spectacular, you know, level. Right. It's a journey to the center of the earth. You know, there's a there's an oasis beneath the in in the earth's core, uh, a thriving community of flora and fauna. I mean, there was that the hidden world aesthetic was really stunning. Um, yeah, it's it's all mystical. It's mysterious. It doesn't have to be totally logically, you know, concrete because because this hidden world is more of like 
It's it's almost like its own separate realm, like the Grey Havens. Yeah, true. But uh, Hiccup and Astrid do find their way to the hidden world uh, on the back of Starfly. Stormfly. Or Stormfly, Stormfly, sorry. Stormfly. Uh, yeah, uh, Toothless is able to fly on his own now because Hiccup invented a, a new tail that enables uh, solo flight. And then they go way down into the depths of that and sort of, I, that's my favorite scene of all. And that's the only scene I wish I could have seen in 3D because I'm sure it was pretty spectacular to have that, mm-hmm. that travel sequence down low and, you know, into the, the world, the, the hidden world. Um, yes. But once they get in there, they realize like how happy Toothless is in this like environment. And I feel that's when it first hit me that I thought, oh wait, like this ending could be, mm-hmm. A goodbye. Uh, Do you know what yeah, I mean? When he yep. down there. And so yep. instantly I got a little sad when he saw them. Right. The whole Lion King sequence where you know, Toothless and, and the Night Fury become kings and queens of this new world. And that, yeah, same thing. I was like, oh, that's where they're going with this ending. Oh, dear. I'd better emotionally prep for that. And yeah. I, I mean, unlikely as it may seem, like they do so doubt that Toothless would you know, stop remaining loyal to Hiccup. Um, and the, I mean, he has good reason now that he's found a mate and Night Fury's mate for life. Um, and, and yeah, he's, he's now gained his independence through this, this new prosthetic tale. However, um, we, so the animation is, is gorgeous. Like this hidden world sequence is just stunning. Um, and then there are several sequences prior to this uh, this discovery uh, where it is the courtship of Toothless and the Light Fury. And these sequences go on for some time. Uh, yeah. I think to varying degrees of success as Jody and I sort of were talking off the air uh, a bit. Um, Jody, you, what, what was your opinion of, of these courtship scenes? Like I said, when we were sort of chatting about it earlier, I feel like they just had a little room in the budget and they wanted to give the animators something like a fun project, like the animation of them, those scenes where he's, he's the first one is he's doing this like bird of paradise type courtship dance. And it seems to go on forever. I think that's like the first scene that I kind of started to, to check out a little bit of the story. Um, So I don't think it worked very well. You guys can Tell me if you think it worked better. And then also there's that scene when they're flying together for the first time, sort of in the middle of the movie. Again, these scenes might've been a lot stronger had I seen it in 3D. Um, but I thought, I thought they kind of took away from the story. I mean, you got to enjoy the music and the score during those parts, but I thought they were long. I thought they, the movie would have been just fine if you cut those scenes in half. Mm-hmm. Yeah, very little dialogue. I mean, the only dialogue during these scenes is when Hiccup's present during their sort of initial contact, the, the two dragons, and, and Toothless is clueless as to how to attract the mate. And he's acting like this, yeah, crazy. Funny. I mean, you think it was long. Like, were you laughing or were you kind of like, okay, okay? Yeah, it, after a bit, it got, got old. Definitely. I, I mean, I like the flying sequences. I like them going into the storm and, um, you know, zooming yeah. around through. Because it, it, gave, it gave Toothless and, and this lady, this girl, woman, dragon, they, it gave them, it, well, it was cool. It, like, it took Toothless away from Hiccup and you got to see Toothless on his own, kind of as a main character in his own right with this new friend and they sort of they had a moment together similar to the moments that Hiccup and Toothless had in the first movie so that you could see Toothless forming a bond with a fellow dragon in a in a similar way to how he formed a bond with his human friend Hiccup and so I mean I guess that Helps it's, develop it's their relationship so that you believe it when Toothless mm-hmm. leaves Hiccup for her. But I mean, you wouldn't, you could, you wouldn't even have to have included any of that. All you really need to do is like, oh, there's a lady dragon now. 
of course, like you'd buy that the, the boy dragon would leave his human for the lady dragon. Like you can buy that pretty, you buy it at the end of the jungle book when Mowgli leaves Baloo and- uh, Un- Well, and, understandable you know. Dawson that, that you sort of felt disconnected because yeah, there were parts of this movie that, that felt slow and, and plotting and it's like, we get it. Um, including some of these courtship scenes. Uh, but I mean, I think what kept me involved mostly was just the visuals and, and the animation yeah. uh, quality, which which was stunning. I mean, I, Roger Deakins returns as a visual consultant on cinematography and lighting. Um, so, but I mean, yeah, like you said, last episode, you know, a visual effect without a story is... is incomplete ultimately yeah so i guess i do feel a sense that timing could have been something other than what it was but i i don't have any way of articulating where and how that might have been improved uh, from my memory Mm -hmm. um you know well but yeah some of the i guess i do agree that like the like the courtship scene i did have a sense of like this is cute but not but you can i don't know get on get on with it the rest of it was really good. I just think if I had to go, you know, if you had to pull a song out or pull something out of there. Yeah. Um, I don't know who did the the music for it though, but I thought that was one thing I thought stood out so well was how the score matched mm-hmm. the imagery as things were happening. The lightning storm scene, especially, mm-hmm. um, and the battle scenes too. I don't I don't know if it's the same person who's been doing this music throughout the series. Yeah, John Powell. He's great. Returned to score. Yeah, I. It was like a Fantasia sequence. Mm-hmm. Yeah, true. And I like I was lying there sick and tired, and so all of that stuff was just sort of a, a treat, a pleasant, a pleasant treat to watch. Toothless has a girlfriend. <laughs> I've hunted every night, Fury, except yours. Hand him over. I will never give him up. Then I will destroy everything you love. We are no longer safe here. We all have to disappear completely off the map. We have to fight for their freedom. We we should briefly mention that Grimmel and Hiccup meet um, when Grimmel does attack Burke. Like, it, it wasn't just Hiccup's wiles that led the Burkeans to evacuate Burke. Uh, I mean, it's effective and impressive that he, he is able to do that, but it really is precipitated by the fact that Grimmel, he tracked um, the Light Fury to Burke because the first time Toothless and the Light Fury meet each other is in Burke, sort of a similar, in a similar way to, you know, how... You, you mentioned something about a rock that Astrid's sitting on. Yeah, um, she and... She, like how... In the second one, she and Hiccup sit on a rock and he looks at a map and they did that exact same scene in this one at about the exact same time in the, mm-hmm. in the film. Um, mm-hmm. Hiccup's looking at a map, you know, talking about his dad in the hidden world and Astrid joins him, but then to, and Toothless is playing fetch with the leg and then he runs down in search of something and then they follow after him uh, a ways behind. And it's not like he, they, I mean, Grimmel and the bad guys, they all knew where Burke was. They all knew Stoic. They all knew Burke was a community. But yeah. it was this dragon, dragon haven, and, that's, and they want to slay the dragon. So it was like, well, now it's time to attack Burke. We'll get the final Night Fury. Um, away we go. Um, so then that's how like, yeah. Hiccup was able to convince them to leave by like this, it, rather than fight, stand and fight, which would have been a better movie if it would, had just been a massive battle between a battle for Burke. <laughs> um, <laughs> Mm-hmm. well yeah but. they do have such a massive fleet and and then the the fleet is able to recapture all of burke's dragons when grimmel he you know there there is a scene where they they do try to raid it you know perform a secret raid on grimmel uh, but you know that that goes poorly uh rough Nut gets captured um she's you know, allowed to escape, but then they follow her to to the new island where the Burkeans have set up a temporary refuge. Um, and so, yeah, that's when, um, and and this is all kind of concurrent with Toothless and the Light Fury's courtship and their tra- traversal to the hidden world. Um, and and 
uh, Hiccup and Astrid are all, have also discovered the hidden world, they realize that the Burkean shouldn't be attempting to to reach the hidden world because it it really is only a place for dragons. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. The, the the dragons do act in a hostile manner towards Hiccup and Astrid when when they are discovered inside the hidden world, um, which is interesting. Like you know the the dragons, you know we're we learn in the first movie that they aren't quite the savage beasts that they're often made out to be by the Vikings. Um, and yet they, they do have a healthy um, antagonism towards humans. Naturally. Uh, understandable. Yes. Yeah. The way of things. Um, mm-hmm. So they settle on a giant mesa in the ocean, which how are they going to get down without their dragons? They'll carve, they'll carve, they'll make some elevators and, but, well, wingsuits, for one thing, that was one of the more exciting scenes in the movie when they, the dragons get captured and, and forced into the cages like we see at the beginning of the movie. The, the only way to reach the dragons, to free them, are from the top of this Mesa island to the giant armada sitting below. Um, and, yeah, Hiccup and his team all glide down via these wingsuits and that that makes for a fun set piece yeah kind of the uh, the climactic battle of the film yeah freaking awesome yeah yeah in which they're able to to free the dragons and then um you know there's a final confrontation with grimmel who who's able to ride the light fury the moment when like there's that final encounter between grimmel and and hiccup when um they're both grappling. Plummeting to their doom. Well, the toothless is involved involved in this. Toothless whole... is also plummeting to his doom because Grimmel shot him with the sleeping darts. So toothless is falling out of the sky. Mm-hmm. And that's when Hiccup chooses like toothless life's over his because he says to the light mm-hmm. one, "What's her name? Whatever." The light. Yeah, the light fury. The light fury like save him, and so she saves him. But like she has just enough time to also save Hiccup, which happened every time in the second. Movie. Yeah, yeah, because Toothless is disabled. He's he gets drugged, but um, the, the Light Fury, in order to save him, she she only has to push him a little ways onto the island. Um, she doesn't have to like go down, chase after him, grab him, you know, and then bring him back up to safe territory. She, it's just sort of a maneuver that she does to push him on course to land on the, the grass. And that gives her enough time to then make chase towards Hiccup. It's all a very intensely, suspensefully timed scene. Um, and, and this is when I started getting fully engaged in the movie, you know, this, this final moment. Definitely made for a great, uh, great climax. And a second inconclusive villain's disappearance by water. Actually, yeah, I mean, I mean, he de- he definitely dies. I mean, if I mean, yeah, uh, falling from that high <laughs> and hitting water is ought to kill you. But like, it's if it's falling from that height is yeah. Oh, okay, yeah, falling into water is this is I guess this is what we do with bad guys in a PG children's film. Like, I there's splash after splash after splash of like, cling cling sword sword. Oh no, jump over the jump overboard into the water or drop or get knocked overboard. It's the, you want a splash, Mr. Starkey? I'll give you a splash. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, Drago has an inconclusive ending, which I, I'm guessing is, I still haven't seen like the TV show, but I'm guessing he gets kind of his send off there, um, whether he dies or not, I'm not sure. But um, yeah, th- this is a definitely, this is a definite ending to this character. Um, and I, and I, th- I thought it was very effective. Yeah, it was great. And then we get to our denouement. Our favorite part. Yeah, it's, it's kind of the realization that Hiccup comes to where humans and dragons maybe ought to uh, go their separate ways, mm-hmm. which even though 
he and the select group of people are able to achieve some semblance of harmonious living amongst the dragons. Uh, it's just not necessarily the way <laughs> that the world is accustomed to. Yeah, they're very clear to say like, we're not ready for it yet, or like, we don't deserve you yet. Like, you kind of get the sense of like, the, the dragons are going away for a while until the like human race can figure out how to like, exist peacefully. Yeah, and when will it be ready for that? When we've got a bunch of skyscrapers and cars to burn down and throw around? Yeah. Like, <laughs> I mean, this kind of goes back to the whole Middle Earth, um, Grey Havens analogy where, yeah, this is clearly its own pocket universe where, uh, yeah. yeah, there's not a whole lot of symmetry to our own world. Um, I don't, great. I definitely don't see the, what all the fuss is about. It's like, well, why can't they visit? Yeah. Why can't they visit can't, at the end? They can, Toothless can fly out of that hole anytime he likes and pay a visit to his old pal Hiccup. Like, yeah, it's only like once four a month. Miles away. Can have bro night. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like I don't know. you gotta, you gotta have bowling night away from the wives and children like once in a while. So yeah, you think, um, but it's just not as dramatic if it's not like we have to be separate forever. Like the stakes have to be higher to be more dramatic, but I also, you know, it's like. And I think well, I really wanted to like pound in that loss element. Like before we started recording this one, even like all of them in the first movie, he has the loss of his mother in the second movie. He finds his mother, but he loses his father. And like, mm -hmm. there's even foreshadowing in this one when the dad is like, Oh, but like love is the most important thing. But anytime you love, there's loss and it's worth it or whatever. He has that little flashback. So they had to they had to like have a big loss. And and I mean, I almost wish that they would have like he would have lost Astrid. I know that sounds bad because I was actually really sad when mm. when it turned out that he had to lose Toothless. Oh yeah, the whole story is Hiccup and Toothless and their their friendship and obviously the like. I mean, Hiccup and Astrid is my second or equal favorite part of the movie, yeah. even though it, of the series, even though it, what it did seem to get kind of sidelined. It's that, that growing up, maturing, taking, you know, taking responsibility, human relationships, like that does in a natural course of time, take precedence over, you know, our relationship to our pets, or it should. Mm -hmm. I thought it had a really powerful message and theme, especially for, you know, my generation, I would say about uh, growing up and that, you know, there's like getting married and starting a family and leading your community responsibly is, is something admirable, is something worthy, is something wow. to do to continue on the, tr you know, the traditions of your, of your tribe and culture. Okay. But like yeah. triggered because you don't have to get married. If you're not married listeners, it's okay. <laughs> no, it, no yeah, well, duh. but it's also okay to get married and it's that's a great it's a great thing i i do yeah i had a hard time pinning down what could be sort of the ultimate theme of this film well there were and there were there were so many, many. Uh -huh. if you had to narrow it down to you know one overarching theme though it it you might be right about it being growing up essentially yeah. Yeah. And I think Dawson's right. Like he wouldn't have really made that full step into manhood or, or whatever at, he is at the end of leadership. Um, if he hadn't had to say that really hard goodbye and, you know, kind of rely on himself and now on his partner, Astrid. Yeah. I liked that it, it, it was, it was so cool that, I mean, we live in a culture and I, and I don't want to say like, this is wrong, but a very individualistic culture where everyone's like, you know, love yourself, be self-sustaining or, you know, don't like you can't, or, you know, don't be needy or don't rely on anyone but yourself or whatever. But literally, I mean, Astrid and Hiccup both said like, they wouldn't be who they were without the other person. Like other people, they mutually had just, massive impacts on each other's lives and it was like well that's why so let's so let's forge this permanently let's make a covenant around this and 
and choose to, you know, strengthen our relationship and then try to bring that strength to our governing over, over our community. Um, and, uh, I think that's a, that's a really powerful statement, you know, to be, to be that vulnerable with someone and, um, and then make a commitment based around that, that vulnerable, that vulnerability is, a, it's like, I, I mean, I'm a sucker, but I think that is like, it's a, it's a really traditional story line, but I think one that like most everyone can relate to, to a degree down in their hearts is, you know, everyone wants to go on an adventure and, and then the Shakespearean archetype of everyone gets married at the end. It's like, we can't, it's in our sitcoms, it's in our, you know, fairy tales, it's in our stories, it's in, it's in literally everything is, you know, a happily ever after. And of course, not that it's not a cliche happily ever after, because we know that happily ever after isn't as simple as that statement itself. Um, but we do see, you know, cause it, I love the flash forward. That flash forward is one of the best things freaking ever. It's like up there with the, the Deathly Hallows epilogue. Um, you know, we see them advanced and we see them with their children. And it's like, we can assume that Astrid and Hiccup are living well. They're living well ever after. That doesn't mean that everything's easy or they're always going to be happy with each other. And because like we saw Astrid and Hiccup throughout this movie, like they, they did deal with the like Hiccup had insecurities in the relationship and Astrid was frustrated with Hiccup's inability to believe in himself. Like there, there's some really interesting nuanced relational um, back and forth in the film. Uh, but they, but they went ahead and tied the knot anyway in the most beautiful wedding ceremony ever, ever put on film. It was so beautiful. It was yeah. so even and the I mean we didn't really even talk about the different, you know, weapons and costumes of this movie, but their their wedding wardrobe, her wedding dress, everything was so perfect. Um, her oh, hair is down and not braided and they're just happy. Oh. I loved that scene. Her down hair was wild. Good heavens. Yeah. Yeah. And his white kingly Norse Nordic tunic was just and cloak and their their freaking crowns. Oh, how she had the like blossom oh. crown and he had the the laurel. Yeah, yeah. good. It was good. So Lord, ethereal and magical, mm-hmm. um, and yet grounded within at least this this film's kind of very um, very human reality. Yeah, it was like the, it kind of reminded me of Aragorn's coronation at Minas Tirith, mm-hmm. but in a, a much, much more Viking, earthy, you know, pagan version of that. <laughs> yeah, so uh, it was a fun time at the movies we had with How to Train Your Dragon, The Hidden World. Um, I don't know, any other final thoughts, you guys? No, I thought, well, at least for me, I won't speak for Dawson. I think this was the perfect, you know, not to the end of the story, the happily ever after. You get the bitter, you get the sweet, and it just, it tied up really well for me, and I was really happy with the way they ended the trilogy. Mm-hmm. 100% agree with everything Jody just said, but there will be a How to Train Your Dragons number four, and it will be all about the babies. And Hiccup or Toothless will be dissatisfied and they'll wish they could go back to the way things were. So they'll sign Rumpelstiltskin's contract <laughs> and he'll let them go back to live one day in an alternate history and it'll ruin everything. Um, yeah. So Coming to a theater for you. Yeah, so I mean, we do see that uh, Hiccup and Toothless aren't totally separated. Like they do visit, but it's only on occasion. And um, you know, Toothless is busy being king of the dragons. So he's got got a lot of responsibilities. What does King of the Dragons have to do? You know, and and there's the whole bit about like the the, the hidden world. The hidden world sort of remains hidden, and um, it's you know that's how harmony is maintained. Uh, do, do you want to hear? Do you want to hear my uh, Guardians of the Galaxy reference? I didn't. I do mention that. Yeah. Um, the in the beginning when fish legs has his baby dragon uh there's the line you brought a baby into battle which is from guardians, is of, the Galaxy, to, oh. guardians of the galaxy 2 baby groot 
Oh, wow. <laughs> That's not a baby in the battle. I haven't seen that movie plot twist. Oh, uh, all right. Well, that was our <laughs> discussion on how to train your dragon, the hidden world. Uh, thanks everyone for listening. Thank you, Jody. Thank you, Dawson. Thanks, Philip. Thanks, Philip. And listener. This was fun. Thank you most of all to our listeners. And uh, yeah, you can find the Thoughtcast conversations about animation on various podcasting platforms, uh, including iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher Radio, and SoundCloud. And you can visit us at thoughtcast.com. Uh, T H A W E D C A S T, just like it sounds. Um, all right, well, everyone have a wonderful week, and uh, we'll be back. So, uh, Take care, y'all.